into the third hour. Thank you so much for being with us. It's the morning tailgate. Lindsay, Vinny, Clay, all here. Uh, hit us up on the text line. We got 702-365-9200 is the number for both the calls and the text. And on r 920 AM on X. And we'll also tell you, just keep listening on a way that you could win $2,024 each and every day just by listening to Raider Nation Radio. We'll tell you about that in just a few minutes because Andy Phillips joins us now the best-selling author on Amazon with Round Zero on the NFL Draft, a fantastic book, a former offensive lineman and a writer with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He joins us now. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Hey, man. Good. Thank you. I'll tell you what, uh, we're just getting ready, you know, as everyone kind of prepares for the combine. But at the same time, we're kind of looking at certain quarterbacks and asking certain analysts uh, like yourself, like what do they see in some of the intangibles and tangibles, but you noted something about Jaden Daniels that, you know, he does certain things by moving defenders off with his eyes. And you noted something that he does even on the pre-snap. What did you notice from Jaden Daniels tape that is so impressive for you? Yeah. Jaden Daniels is my QB one after watching all these quarterbacks, all, all the film, uh, you get out on a handful, at least a handful of games on each, uh, more on some. But listen, what Jaden Daniels does well is not what people are going to initially think if you only kind of watch this Heisman reel. You know, you're going to see a lot of, you know, the 60-yard runs and the deep balls. And But what he does really well is the pre-snap stuff. And you can just tell how comfortable he was in the offense this year for, for LSU. And it's, it's the littlest thing. Of, I, I was watching the Ole Miss game, and – he has Malik Neighbors, who's going to be a fellow top 10 pick, uh, is the inside slot receiver to his right. He knew on the pre-snap that he had to move uh, the, the, the Mike linebacker off the hash. So right off the drop back, when he's in, in his first three steps, he's looking left. It, the linebacker just froze. He didn't sprint out anywhere, but he just froze. And it was enough time for him to, once he hit, got his hitch, to fire a ball into that zone with enough space in the window to hit neighbors for about an 18-yard gain. And it's those little things that are nuances that you need to be able to do from the pocket at the next level. And it's why I have him as my quarterback one, because he does the little things well. He has an absolute cannon of arm. He makes all the throws. He's aggressive, but smartly aggressive. He doesn't really put the ball in, in much danger while taking his shots. And the best part about all of this is this is a kid who's six foot four. He's done it at multiple programs. He has no problem making plays inside the pocket. What I mean by that is what he does well is he buys time mm-hmm. while keeping his eyes on field. I think he has the most consistent technique of these top three guys mm-hmm. in terms of his footwork inside the pocket. And then when he decides to leave the pocket, he has a burst that is very rare. So I just think when you throw the whole package in, the experience that he has, the nuances inside the pocket, and then obviously the unique ability once he does decide to break free outside the pocket. He's the one who I'm actually most comfortable with if I was uh, taking the first quarterback off the board. Wow. And I love the other I love the other two, to Drake May and Caleb Williams. I think they're elite prospects, but to me, I just think Daniels is the one who combines the upside, but I think he also might have the uh, the tallest floor. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Drake May because um, you know you look at the stats from two years ago and they were fabulous. Last year, not so much. Uh, there was definitely a, a, a dip in the performance, and um, to, I, I don't know what extent you've been able to watch and dig into to Drake. But if you have and been able to watch both of the seasons, what was the reason for what happened last year as opposed to what happened the year before? 
So Drake's probably the, the of all these guys, I think I've watched the most Drake make games and most snaps because he's the one that, you know, you'd see less live on TV, but also the one that you'd have the most questions about because how much of the stat draft that you're talking about was more of a result of guys around him. And the talent is different. The talent gap, he's not thrown to a Malik Neighbors who's going to be a top-ten pick. He's not Michael Penix thrown to a Roma Dunze who's going to be a top-ten pick. He's not, you know, Caleb Williams thrown to a slew of really good players uh, who are going to have NFL careers. His, he's thrown, you know, Tez Walker, his number one receiver, who's probably going to be a day-two pick, uh, he didn't get him until about halfway through the season yeah. because of an eligibility issue with him being a transfer from, from the back. And I think the thing I love most about Drake May, playing quarterback looks like he's a kid who was meant to do it. Like, it's hard to describe, but everything looks very easy to him. Every throw, that whether it's velocity, whether it's touch, comes very natural. It doesn't look like he's had to really work on that. And, I, and I'm all for work, don't get me wrong. But when you can naturally do some things, it makes your work habits even better. And he has all that. And his, his ability to throw outside the pocket is uh, second to none. He, he's fantastic when he has to throw on the move. Uh, really like Drake May. I actually really do. And, and to be honest with you, he's my QB too. Because I think he gives you all of the upside uh, that like a Caleb Williams can give you. Uh, but I also think he's had to do it in a little bit of a tougher scenario and had to do it. Uh, he does a lot more from the pocket, more in rhythm. My only concern with Drake May when I watch him is I think he leaves the pocket a hair early. I think in the NFL, you must, even like the Patrick Mahomes of the world, 95% of what they do is inside the pocket and winning from the pocket, like I mentioned with Jane Daniels. I think Drake does, ha- does tend to pull the ball down a little early for my liking, and that could be maybe a trust issue with uh, his offensive line, and he can get away with it at the college level even early. But I do think he's going to have to to learn how to maybe get to that third read more consistently. Uh, but he has a very high upside. Yeah, I will say he throws a very beautiful ball, and, and, and just the, his throwing motion allows him to do that. And, and we'll see if he's able to to transfer that to the next level. Uh, we're talking to Andy Phillips here. He goes deep in on the draft each and every year. He even wrote a book about it. It's called Round Zero. And when we were at the Radio Row a couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking to a lot of linebackers. They tend to be coaches, and they tend to be talkers. And, and we were talking a little bit about the art of tackling and how that's kind of evolved into a lost art of sorts. What do you think is a skill set in the trench is where you come from, uh, do you think that matches a similar evolutionary pattern? Oh, that's fantastic, actually. Uh, I actually think, so if I'm going to go into the trenches, I think becoming a lost art during these evaluations is someone's ability to run block. It kind of, it's been driving me nuts a little bit. I think everyone's just simply looking for, because what we're seeing today is that the passing game has become more, right? It's become more of an emphasis because it's not just your shot plays and your chunk plays. It's now it can be your efficient plays, where first and 10 or second and seven used to be handed off, get three to four yards, and that's your efficiency play. Now you can have you know a five-yard stick route by your tight end. Now you can have a bubble screen or a smoke screen. So I think everyone's really leaning on when you're projecting these offensive tackles specifically on well, who's the best pass protector. But the run game, especially as we've seen in the playoffs, Heck, outside of that last quarter, the Chiefs and the Niners both throughout the playoff run really leaned heavy on their run game and gap scheme, zone scheme, G scheme, you know, pin and pull, whatever you want to call whatever they were running. That was actually the bread and butter they got both of them to the Super Bowl. So I think when you're scouting these offensive tackles, listen, the names you're gonna the name you're gonna hear 
touted or the Joel Alt at Notre Dame. You're also going to hear uh, Fashanu out of Penn State. But in my opinion, offensive tackle number one is Talese Fuaga out of Oregon State because I think he's just as explosive as the other two in the past game, but I think he's the best run blocker. And I think Alt's a very good run blocker, but I think he can do more with Fuaga because he kind of has that Trent Williams and Penny Sewell athletic ability at 330 pounds. That is just hard to coach, and he adds a tenacity to it. And I just think he's a guy that could play four positions at the NFL. And I think he's best at tackle, but if you want to move the guard, he has all the ability to do that. And I think his pass protection is just as good, uh, right on par, I should say, as Fashanu and Alt. But I think the run blocking, he just takes it a little bit to the next level because he has just elite explosiveness and uh, ability to just finish at 330 pounds. So I, I still scout players. I have the understanding that you better be able to pass block, but we saw a lot of these teams this year that took steps. Like like my Lions, they were led by the run game. They had two two guys with a 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Penny Sewell is a foundational draft pick. He's the right tackle and their best player on their entire football team, and he's the best run blocker in football as well. And I don't think it's a secret that, yes, he can pass block, but the run blocking is still just as important even though people don't think it is based on, again, when you're watching the game and seeing highlights, it's a lot of passing. But you better still, still be able to run block, and that's how I scout these guys. It's Andy Phillips here on the morning tailgate, round zero, available on Amazon. When you think about what the Raiders are looking for, because they, they have some uh, spaces and some vacancies where guys are going to have to compete for the offensive line. Do you find that uh, beyond the Fuaguas and the, the elite top-tier uh, uh, offensive linemen, is it more ideal to go into the free agent market to find the certain kind of run blockers and certain kind of offensive linemen that you need for your scheme instead of maybe taking a stab at the draft because you already know that there are some deficiencies after the top guys in the draft. Yeah, I think if you're looking for starters, you go free agency, but you got to continuously draft your middle round, your your third round, fourth round, fifth round. I don't care how good your offensive line is. Every single year, somewhere in that neighborhood, you need to be addressing your offensive line, getting that depth, get the development started, and go from there. In case you can luck out and get a fourth round or that turns into a year one starter, sure. but you got to keep developing these guys. So if you're really looking outside of, say, the top 20 picks for a starter, you're probably going to want to sneak into the free agency route, still take guys with your day two, day three picks, uh, and hope that you know they develop down the road. But it's just these, these, these offensive linemen coming in. We talked about, I think, the last time I was on or two times ago when I was on with you guys, is the, 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 what they're being asked to do at the college level right. makes the transition a little bit harder for what they're going to be asked to do at the NFL level. So if you have the opportunity to get an all Waga Fashanu, uh, Jackson uh, Powers Johnson, the center out of Oregon. You don't have to get one of those day one starter guys. You take them, but if you're going to be sitting there in, in, the, in the second and third round, banking on getting say a starting right guard, you also may want to you know think about grabbing a veteran in free agency because it's really unpredictable at times of how much development is going to be needed for you know the guys who are sitting outside of there. Andy, the Raiders are making uh, an offensive uh, philosophy change and moving more toward the West Coast offense, more zone-type uh, running game. What kind of offensive linemen, uh, what's the skill set uh, that, that's needed to excel in that kind of a, a scheme? Uh, zone, zone, West Coast, you got to have great footwork. It, it, it's a footwork thing. I will say the nice part about zone is you can favor athletic ability over pure brute strength. And uh, I give you an example. That's where... If you're, if you're drafting in an offensive tackle position, you know, there's a J.C. Latham out of uh, Alabama who's just a mass of humanity, about 350 pounds. He, he probably wouldn't be your, your the top choice 
uh, to play right tackle in a West Coast zone scheme where uh, you know the kid out of Washington, uh, Fantanu. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on uh, the pronunciation of his name, but he is elite athleticism. Kind of reminds me of Dave Bakhtiari uh, for the Green Bay Packers. He'd be more fit for that. So you want guys who are. I'd say you'd favor the athlete over the the hulking bulk. But listen, the West Coast is beautiful because it actually is a system that is so unique that it actually allows you to fit it and scheme it to what you have around you. Uh, but in an ideal world, you're going to favor a guy who may be a hair more undersized with a little more athleticism uh, because it's all about footwork and angles and working together as a unit rather than just squaring somebody up and seeing who's going to win the Oklahoma drill. Talking to Andy Phillips here, writer for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He even has a book. Go check it out at all of your book retailers online. And I'm ho- I'm hoping brick and mortar too, Andy, because we can spread this around. Uh, but next week, I, I got to think there's a, a, this is a whole nerve gnashing experience to go uh, every single day. You're getting evaluated. You're getting interviewed. But what had you stressing the most the night before back in the day when it was your turn? Yeah, so it was interesting. Before, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I guess, good enough to go to the combine. But the pro day is the exact same thing. We mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, representatives from, I want to say, twenty eight or twenty nine of the thirty two teams were at our pro day. And the biggest stressor for me was honestly my weight because I needed to see my weight start with a three. I was a guy that, you know, in college I managed to play about, you know, three hundred or three hundred five. But my natural when I'm in when I was at my best. I was around 294, and so I'm training out in California at Exos. I was 293 to 296 about the whole time to the point where it was getting hard to keep the weight on. And, listen, when you're coming out of the MAC and you're already undersized, all the last thing you want them to see is two starting that weight. I needed to see three. I remember staying up until about midnight the night before because I was so worried about my weight. And I ate an entire box of like jambalaya or something just to make sure I'm chugging water the next morning. So I, I'm holding everything. You know, I'm holding. I had to, I had to pee so bad. Sorry to be graphic. I had to pee so bad. But I'm holding it in until we got that weight over with. And when I tell you I was 300.0 on the nose, and I just ran to the bathroom. And then it was, next thing I know, I'm, I'm I'm walking out. I'm about four guys away on the bench press. So I then had to worry about the next thing, but. I wasn't worried because I prepared myself. And, uh, again, weight is something that I could somewhat control. So that worried me. Oh, oh Andy! Hey, hey, nothing wrong with a little bit of a jambalaya, too, by the way. Well, you know, it's going to fill you up. You know oh. what I mean? I mean, because that rice will spread. Oh, you know yeah. I, mean? <laughs> I had some good jambalaya in Mobile, Alabama. I think I talked to you guys about that. Weigh-ins are awful. But, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't. I just it's one of the more toxic things. That's just a reality of of the business and and sports in general. And because you you got to you're expected to be in certain shapes, right? Of course. And and people are going to track those. But I it's always fascinating to me, especially with uh, linemen, because we see a lot of guys after they get out of the game, they'll drop a, a ton of weight. And I'm always curious about how they redefine their relationship with eating and with food. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's. It's a it's a challenge. Like like Andy is he, is he back yeah, on? Yeah, Andy's back on. The he, keeping the weight on yeah. for offensive linemen is is uh, is an under um, reported story. It's Misery, a, it's a skill. I gotta think. Yeah, 
Andy, oh, that, that's a story that doesn't get a lot of uh, press, especially for offensive linemen. Well, and Andy will appreciate this because I remember Les Need, the Rams general manager, Andy told me one time that the fat ones get skinny and the skinny ones get fat after the play after the after the playing days are over. So I'm not sure how it worked out for you, but it feels like that that's typically the way it goes. You know what's interesting is it's because you get all these habits. If you're naturally not a big guy, mm-hmm. you have all these habits. And it's funny because you have to really overdo everything yeah. just to get your weight up mm-hmm. and to keep it up. That when it's like, boom, your career is over, it's harder to your body to react to breaking those habits that you had just spent so long trying to form. Where when you're the, the naturally bigger guy, you're already in, your body's already used to you trying to maintain and keep, you know, keep it down and, and eating healthier and all that kind of stuff that it just naturally uh, is, is, you know, that way is different. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. And I'll say this, the worst part about the, the, the combine when it comes to the weights is everyone's trying to maintain a certain weight so they might sacrifice doing something else. Like all these people that are trying to put on weight, uh, for example, like a Bryce Young, Last year, he wanted to gain all the weight, but then he didn't want to do any of the drills and ever in Hawaii to Alabama. But part of that's because he knows by the time he gets to Alabama, he's not going to weigh in. He's going to be 10 pounds lighter and move better. So I do think there's an element of mm-hmm. I wish the weight wasn't as big of a deal. If I'm a general manager, I, rather than seeing an offensive lineman show up at 305 or a, a quarterback show up at 225, I'd rather them just show up at what they're going to play at for me next year so I can see how they move, yeah. see how they compete. Mm-hmm. Because that's the biggest thing to me is how do you compete? How do you move in this setting? The pressure's on you. You got no sleep because the fire alarm was pulled last night. You got no sleep because we wanted you up at 445 for an interview this morning or your physical's at this time. And they do all these things to make it, honestly, somewhat of an uncomfortable experience because they want to see how you perform when things aren't perfect. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues going on right now is, these guys know they have to meet certain criteria, whether it be their weight, whether it be, you know, if it's an offensive lineman and you, or a defensive lineman and you want to control your weight. Devondre Sweat, very curious to see what he weighs in that next week because he's very big and he refused to weigh in. At, he was listed, I believe, on Texas website at 362 he's to de tackle. Everyone knows he's big. <laughs> and then he refused to weigh in at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> so it's like, wait, is this guy really like, is he 380 right now? Like, why would – everyone's already expecting 360. Why – Why? what's going on? Yeah. He's one of those guys that he's probably going to do everything in his power right now to lose a bunch of weight, and then he's going to get there, and he's not going to do a bench press. He's not going to do some drills because he's probably going to come in at a lighter number but probably lost a little bit of his power and what makes him good. So it's, the weight thing, I think, ruins a lot of the other opportunities at the Combine, not to go off on a tangent. Yeah, before we let you go, Andy, can you talk a little bit about J.J. McCarthy and what the story will be, you think, after the combine, once all the interviews are done and all the measurables are done? What do you think uh, his assessment will be uh, 10 days from now? My prediction is he's going to be a hot commodity after that because all the things that you're going to do at the combine, he will light up. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, what I see on film from him is when given the opportunity, the guy can sling it. He can mm-hmm. play. I, I was thinking about it actually before you called. When I'm looking at these quarterbacks, if you had to take the ten best throws that any of them made this year, he probably he could have up to half of them. Okay, like his when he got moments, he made some of the windows he would throw into were incredible, and that's going to be on display on, on the combine. Apparently, he's a brilliant kid, and he's he's very well liked, very poised. So he's probably going to interview well. Uh, as well. So I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be one of the talks 
coming out of the combine, and I think he'll probably cement himself in that top 10 to 12 picks because of that. I still think there is that risk of when you haven't had the volume and you haven't been asked to have the volume, how are you going to react when in an NFL game almost every other week come the fourth quarter, down eight, six minutes left, it's volume time. How are you going to react? So I think a great opportunity for him would either be to land in Denver or land where you have Sean Payton who can take him slow and mold him or land in Minnesota, have them bring back Kirk for one more year, let him sit and develop mm. and really get ready. Because if he's a guy you're going to ask day one to walk in and throw the ball 38 times week one, I'd just be curious because I like everything about it. But, again, we're talking about a position that is not the running back where the more carries a running back gets in college, the more worried NFL scouts get. It's the opposite with quarterbacks. They want to see as much data and volume as they can to make a full evaluation. And that's where J.J. just lacks a little bit. It's because you didn't have to do it because of the offensive line and run game at Michigan. And uh, But I think come next week, he'll tear that part of the process up and really cement himself in that top 10 to 12. Uh, we love your assessments. Andy Phillips here with us, author of Round Zero Inside the NFL Draft, up on Amazon, full of great stories and behind the scenes of the NFL's draft. We appreciate it, Andy. Thank you so much for your time. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Follow him on X at AFIL66. Um, yeah, that's, you know, it's interesting also when he talks about JJ that, you know, this this could be that that moment that this is the kind of week he needs to maybe separate himself from the top three, you know, because everyone has a their stapled top three quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the draft. But then are you grouped in with everybody else after that? And maybe he sets himself apart and this is that week he does it. Yeah, I think he's kind of already started that process. But, yeah, this week is is really important for him. And uh, I know that Andy mentioned, you know, the 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 – Broncos and, and the Vikings, I think a great situation for him would be right here with the Raiders. I don't think he's coming to a quarterback or a coach that wants to throw it 38 times a game. I mean, he may have to that, every yeah. once in a while, mm-hmm. um, and we'll see how he responds. But I don't think that that's how this offense is going to be structured. I don't think that's what the head coach even wants. So I think he would be coming to a situation, A, that would be familiar to him uh, with what Luke Getzey's going to uh, want to do compared to what he did in Michigan, which is, there's some similarities there. And the mindset of what Antonio have, how Antonio Pierce wants to play, which is a physical run game, which is what he operated in Michigan. And then at times when you need your quarterback to make the plays, he's capable of making the plays as he showed, as Andy was just talking about, some of the throws that he made under duress on the run when they had to have it, high leverage plays on third downs, he was at his best in those moments when they were asking him to do it. So if if that's moderated, you, you, like you said, you don't want him to throw it 38 times a game. But I don't think he's coming to a team that's even going to be asking him to do that unless it's just dire straits situation. Based off of my highlight tape review, which is still very limited, compared to Drake May and Bo Nix, I like him better. Okay. I like him better. But I don't even think – yeah. I, it's all highlights. There's right. seven minutes. I'm trying to keep it – they're all Prince highlights, so I'm going for the, to the same fodder and, and trying to keep that, and we'll bring more stuff in. But uh, just the way that he goes about his business is very attractive. He, he has loved very what, attractive. He said something similar that you said about Drake May, how natural everything yeah, flows and it how, does. how he does everything naturally, even when he goes outside the park. His ability to throw on the move is awesome. And yeah. I, I think it's important because – and this is, this is out there um, – go watch full games. Go watch full games of what Drake was asked to do and the talent that was around him. Instead of, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the highlight reels. As, as Lindsay said, there's never a drop ball. 
in those moments. But when you watch the full games, you're going to see the full games and how it all played out and how they managed it, how they handle it. And they're all out there. So uh, maybe at some point, you know, that's something that we should do uh, for a game or two just to try to, you know, get a better handle on the game management and the full game and the disappointments, the highs, the lows, sometimes where it goes bad. Um, So uh, maybe that's something that we should, you know, do moving forward. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back, read some thoughts on the text line 702-365-9200. Some morning tailgate, Raider Nation. Thanks for coming back with us here on the morning tailgate. Ah, oh, it's Raider Nation Radio. Let's find a way to make some money. Yeah? Yeah. Let's Is it do time? It. I mean, we're a kind, giving, nurturing people. We are. Wow. We love all the listeners. Why not give them some money? That being said, I'm going to fix the typo within the first three words of this copy uh, after I go through it. But Raider Nation Radio is turning your year off right with a chance to hit the jackpot. Every Monday through Friday, you could win $2,024 doll hairs. All you got to do is listen for the daily code and send it to 702-365-9200 to register. Contest opens at 7 a.m., closes at 5 p.m., and the code changes daily. So be sure that you're tuned in. Raider Nation Radio all day, every day, so you can stay updated and you can hit that jackpot and win $2,024. All thanks to Lois Broadcasting and Raider Nation Radio. And today's code, Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, just like Ashton, not the Kutcher. Or the Dean. Every time I hear Martin, I hear Martin. Remember the show, show Martin? Martin. Oh, my God. Can't pronounce the T. Martin. Yeah. I love that show. She was cool. She was friend, my wife got to know her, the actress, and uh, it's a little group of friends. Total sweetheart. Well, it was, and it's funny. She was so fiery on that show <laughs> with Martin. She was awesome. I, I I loved it. I'm still in love with her in kind of a weird yeah. way. But uh, that was the last <laughs> time when like radio DJs were like the focal point of yeah, he a, was a sitcom. DJ. That's you know right, what I mean? Yeah. He's UP. Absolutely. And uh, he gave her a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, it was kind of it, it, it almost felt like um the, not the odd couple but the uh, uh what was the Jackie Gleason show the honeymooners it was, felt like the honeymooners in some ways the way their relationship is best friend you know it was just it was it was had a little bit of that element i loved it uh, from the text line 702-365-9200 brought to you by the Dollar Loan Center. As we talked about Antonio Pierce's comments on uh, Max Crosby's podcast, talking about Mahomes' rules, mm-hmm. uh, we see from uh, Dark Side Don, he says, while I wholeheartedly believe that football is the ultimate team sport, teams win championships, teams win championships, no doubt about it, but however, we just witnessed the best player and the best QB beat the best team in the league. Dark Side Don talking about the uh, the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry, and also um, roll off Raider. Marcus says the difference between what AP said and what Al Davis said is sixty years. The NFL just doesn't want that brand. Yes, I can see that. That that that's what I'm thinking about. Like, could this be something detrimental that will be taken into account when it comes time to play these games and with the officiating? When you already have kind of outlined that we're going to get physical with a certain player, the best player in the league. And Cody in Denver says, I feel like they're building a Raiders Chiefs Week One matchup. Mm. Oh, uh, let's go Thursday. No, that's going to be in Rio, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't Philly or somebody's playing down in Rio? Ooh. Somebody's playing in Brazil this year. I'm pretty sure it's at Philly. Yeah, I don't think it's right. week one, um, or at least it hasn't been announced yet. Yeah, usually. But it's there's the, the Thursday night game, and usually the Super Bowl champion. The Super Bowl champion. It was the, against the Lions mm-hmm. last year, and your Host Lions it, yeah. beat their ass. That's crazy. See all these teams. You're like, oh, they're the best team ever. Lions beat them. Raiders beat them. Just knowing they still won the Shock the world. We do, we do that. But that would be really that would be really fun mm-hmm. if we had week one Chiefs Raiders to They're, kick off the NFL people season. People are already kind of talking great. about that possibility. I, 
th- uh, Thursday. They'd be smart to do that. It'd be good theater. Oh yeah, from a league sure. standpoint. Right. That's and that's the thing too. Is like the league should love this. Your Super Bowl champions. Love it up. Love it up. You want a true villain to whatever Mm -hmm. hero Patrick Mahomes is? Look for the Raiders. Look for 98. That's the vibe. That's the vibe. It builds to certain uh, crescendos, and that could be that. That what a great way to start the year off, mm. especially for AP and the Raiders. Like yeah, the last team they lost to. Yeah, mm. I I love that storyline. Let's get you in there. I tweeted. Cody the, you know, I, I yeah. tweeted that out. In Arrowhead. It didn't matter. It was a December game. They obviously were the better. I get it, but it's still factual. They were the last team to beat them. Andy and Reid called him a catalyst, basically. Right. He, he credited them. You're welcome. He mm-hmm. texted Antonio to thank him. Yeah, literally. Correct. So. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I wasn't saying that they were the better team or that the, the, they would have won the Super Bowl. I'm just saying it's a it's a factual fact that, uh, to, not to be redundant, the Raiders were the last team to beat them, and they did draw up a blueprint. But uh, Darkside uh, Don's, um, uh, is that who uh, tweeted that or yeah. texted that? Yeah. Not only did he beat the best team, quote-unquote, in the league in the Super Bowl, he went on the road and beat the MVP candidate, or the uh, runner-up MVP on the road, Josh Allen, and the MVP, <laughs> you know, and Lamar Jackson, both quarterbacks, by the way, on the road. So, um, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is a problem, and you're going to have to deal with him. And I, I, I fully agree with Antonio Pearson in, in, in that approach. And I don't mind him saying it either, because if there's any sort of value, if there's any kind of, um, um, you know, uh, po- possibility of it, of it seeping into Patrick Mahomes' head, hey, by any means necessary, whatever edge you could possibly create for yourself. Do they put up um, banners in the rafters when there's no roof? Like, because I want the Raiders to be there for the banner ceremony. I I want them to take it in. It's a I do. Fl- it's I want flag, them to yeah. chew on it mm-hmm. and just. I want the whole circumstance. I want that <laughs> adversity for them. Yep. I want all of that. I also want them to be pumped up. There's always that. That that uh, you swell with praise because you see the banner and like the first half might go well, but you're totally gassed by the second half. The team that won and they play yeah. that week one, like all the pageantry and stuff and the emotion goes right through your feet. Some right. of the like the, some of the worst Laker losses, butt whoopings, were on ring night oh, <laughs> to really? open the season. Yeah. yeah, it was just like it was almost <laughs> inevitable. If I was a betting man, I could have won a lot of money because you just like you just said, it's just a deflate like. First of all, by that time, and I, I was kind of uh, curious about how the Golden Knights were going to handle it, and especially in hockey, where you take that thing around everywhere. It's just, the the trophy is celebrated. It's just it's part it's of your entourage. it's part of your entire off season. Mm-hmm. But there really is you got to like just bury that because it's a whole new journey and it's a whole new uh, endeavor. But you have that one more night with the rings and the. The banner being hung up, and it's just emotionally draining by that point. Like, you just kind of want to get on with the season, but you have that one last ritual, and uh, then there's another team that's just watching the whole thing, going, we're going to kick these guys' ass right now. It was so funny. Sorry, Clay, when they were raising the banner for the Golden Knights, and it came out of a slot machine because obviously so and Vegas. it took so long. Why? It was the one it was a glitch? No, it did. they were just raising the banner and uh. it just was the slowest roll <laughs> and we got through like a three and a half minute song and everybody's looking up you're like, alright and you could just see the players are ch- change where they're putting their hands and like they don't know what to do with them. They're it like, let's hilarious. get this over so with. Right. That, yeah. that ceremony took forever to forever. get going. Yeah, and I, you're right. The song ran out. Yes. You know, that's, the when, you, got raised. that's when you know the coach is in, <laughs> has no control over that. 
because the coach is like, let's get this over with as right. quickly as possible. This could have been an email. It's like, coach, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we couldn't have just text each other. Uh, the, yeah, that's when the, the organization said, coach, go sit over there, do what you got to feel like you got to do. Heck, at the Super Bowl, Here's a phone back. once you get on the field, there's like another 15-minute, like, Delay. We were talking to Andy Reid about that during the availability. He's like, "What do you, what do you make, what do you have your team do? Try to get off your feet because it's like this whole mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing." And then now we got to sit back down because there's all kinds of national anthems and this and that, and and you got to manage that mm-hmm. uh, before the start of the game. So it didn't. Sometimes Super Bowls get getting off to slow starts. Probably there's probably a little bit of a cause and effect there, right? Like some of the things that you have to do that's not normal to a regular game that you have to deal with in the Super Bowl. ESPN was broadcasting it. It was almost like they were like, let's make the most out of this little ceremony and make this thing dry because they did. And that that slot what, for, machine thing. For the Golden Knights. Yes, yeah. for the Golden Knights. Like, they milked it. They milked they it. They got all their gallons. It was the largest commercial I've ever seen for the Golden Knights ever on network TV. Yeah, and they even had like a skate. It was just such a bizarre experience. Because like you said, Vinny, they're skating around. They're, they have the cup all, all summer. Yeah. You have your day with the cup. It's always around. You're doing Enough PR. Enough with the cup. Like Enough. Mark Stone, I, I know at some point you're just like, can I get rid of this thing? Exactly. I know that's not real. But right. like you're just, it's annoying. But they, they had like a lap before they did the, the banner. They had the cup again and they did like a team lap. Right, around that's right. with it. I'm just like, this is so weird. And the thing is, it's <laughs> it like forever. it's a it's a it's a a stark reminder that oh, now go do it again and start from ground zero. Like in yeah. what when does the season start? October. Yep. You know the the next time you're going to even be touching this potentially is in the summer, which is a long way away. And it just holy cow, we got to just go do this all. Over I have again. so many hockey hits to absorb between now and yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Like, so many oh. meaning, quote unquote, <laughs> oh. meaningless games along the way after you've played for the most important, you know, the most important games to to now. I got to get up every, you know, every day basically, every other day, whatever it is, and ho- however they do it in hockey. But it's a daunting task, you know, and that's a, definitely a mental challenge to be able to rev it back up and know that you have to keep revving it up as the playoffs go on. Like you have to take it to another rung. With each, you know, uh, playoffs playoff series, and the great ones sort of master that. They find another level to get to to win when it gets to the finals. Um, and having done that at all the various stops along the way, so uh, um, shout out to the to the Golden Knights. I always call them the Kings, the Golden Knights for for doing that. We'll see if they can repeat. Oh, I remember that ceremony. I was online trying to bet against them because they, oh. they played the Seattle Kraken. I'm like, the Kraken's just sitting there, Who just won? like smiling. Golden Knights Golden won four to one or they something were, like they, that. They came yeah. out of the gates just flying yeah, this year, and so, but now they're they're still. So were you able to get the bet? Yeah, I got the bet in, but uh, I, I lost uh, handedly. Yeah. But eh, it's all right. Never bet against Showtime with them. I'll say that. Yeah, I'll that's right. That. They're undefeated when it comes to Showtime. I, I, I wonder if, well, who are you going to bet on tonight. They're playing the Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews know, is like so the excited quickest for of fifty plus goals in like two seconds. I'm, I'm picking the Leafers probably. I'd like to see the. I hate uh, it. I know, but they got you know aggressive. Um, aggressive line. Uh, the first line and second line have some hitters on there too, and I, I like to see them set the tone early. Maybe that maybe that plays in part of it. And we'll see. No Mark Stone for a while, though. That sucks. Stoney. Right. Yeah, he's out. Hey, he's Raider out. at T, uh, real quick. Uh, I like what you said there, Raider at T. Uh, I know. I think Antonio Pierce knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. when he said that, that they have a Mahomes rule. Look at how many penalties in the Raiders had on Christmas Day. He's going to have everyone playing violent and disciplined. And also, uh, Jason from Tacoma, Washington says, AP was actually giving Mahomes praise while comparing him to MJ and what other teams need to do to beat them. Too sensitive. 
many too sensitive Raider haters. Respect to the Chiefs, but there's no other option. We're coming. Yeah, and uh, I, the least true. the that's least praise. surprised person is Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah, that's that's you better, or else I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, beat you. So, uh, but but maybe maybe it, you know uh, gets into his head a little bit, uh, looking over his shoulder a little bit because uh, I think that's a big part of of trying to beat Patrick Mahomes, which, by the way, the Raiders did. And they were the last team to do it. it. No, it didn't mean anything in the whole scheme of things, but they were truly the last team to beat the Chiefs, and they did it in a way that uh, was pretty convincing, not being able to score a point but be able to just still dominate that game. That was a, and then they broke off the long run by, by uh, Zamir to put it away. That was sort of the, the, the last you know stake in the heart, which was uh, interesting how they stuck with it and they made it pay off. Yeah, yeah Zamir closing that thing out was a, a thing of beauty. We'll take a break and come back. Vinny, Lindsay, and Clay on the other side. Thanks for being with us here on the Morning Tailgate Raider Nation Radio. Go up online, find our podcast, LVSportsNetwork.com, as well as our photo gallery page from Radio Row. From the text line, 702-365-9200. A lot of great texts today. Thanks, everybody, for bringing those guys in. And it's, it's awesome to see because... Uh, we even see, as we talked earlier about, like, what do you do when you're at a restaurant and you don't get exactly what you want? You know, mm. they put in special sauce when you asked specifically no mm-hmm. special sauce. Um, Grumpy Az says, yeah, I always send my food back, especially if it's their mistake. Now, if I messed up, I will eat it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, And he goes, but I'm not an ass about it. So I have right. a question about yesterday. I think you guys heard you guys talk about Josh Jacobs and why we shouldn't pay him. He has produced, except last year where he got hurt. He still did good, though. And But the Raiders did play pay Colton Miller and Max Crosby, and that's the only two homegrown talents I can remember. Yet we're always saying the Raiders have never have homegrown talents because they have to do better somewhere else. So my question is, at what point do we consider what is a homegrown guy talent that we keep and one that we let go? Uh, I think that the Raiders would like to keep Josh Jacobs, but I think that the the, the cost is going to come into play. And I and you know uh, knowing Tom Telesco, I think he's super prudent and you know well thought. Uh, I don't think that he's going to deviate from that necessarily. So I think it's going to have to work probably more toward the Raiders number than maybe what Josh Jacobs uh, obviously wants. But the but the issue is paying running backs that amount of money when you may have a, a ready-made uh, replacement at a fraction of the cost and be able to use that money, not pocket it, not save it, not go, you know, uh, go to in and out across. No, put it towards the team in other areas, offensive line, defensive line. So is the money better spent elsewhere rather than tying it up to a running back, which lately has become kind of a risky business. All right. For Lindsay, for Vinny, I'm Clay. We thank you for listening. LVSportsNetwork.com is our podcast page. You can also find it on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Have a great day, everybody. Rich Eisen is next.